there's been a surge of interest globally in using psychedelics, drugs such as MDMA and psilocybin, to assist in the treatment of a range of mental illnesses. But knowledge and access are still limited. Dr. Delara Bacecchi is a neuroscientist who specialises in the therapeutic potential of these psychoactive drugs. In this bite-sized episode of The Scan, Delara lays out how vital it is to develop new treatments for mental illness and to ensure access is equitable. Delara explains the current research landscape for these treatments and what's coming next. Thank you so much, Delara, for joining me today. It's wonderful to see you. Thanks, Rika. So I'm glad to be here. In a nutshell, your work is looking at finding new treatment for different conditions in the mental health space. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, you've nailed it, Marinka. So my title is I'm a research fellow at the George Institute and I work on supporting and developing novel treatments for mental disorders. And that really focuses on treatments like ketamine and psychedelics like psilocybin at the moment. And we look at different health conditions the ones we're kind of looking at at the moment include depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and methamphetamine addiction. And when I say psychedelics, uh, I guess we're including things like psilocybin from magic mushrooms and MDMA. Um, and the way they're being used clinically is they're being administered in and alongside a course of psychotherapy. Ah, great. So there's quite a range. And I've seen a bit about different sorts of treatment investigations in the news in Australia anyway and are we doing things with different people or how does our research differ from what I've been reading about? Yeah I might just start with a quick overview of where the space is at at the moment. So um, these treatments are currently going through clinical trials and they're approaching FDA approval. So there's MDMA is that has finished its phase three trials for post-traumatic stress disorder psilocybin that's the active component of psychedelic mushrooms that's currently entering phase three trials for treatment resistant depression they're sort of what we think of as typical psychedelics there's also ketamine that's an approved anesthetic but it has off-label use for depression and that's in this funny space where it's not approved for depression but it's being used off-label ah right that is really interesting so you know, I think it would be useful to talk about all the different sort of stages of these investigations, something that I have only recently learned about, even though I've been working with researchers like yourself for many years, and I found it fascinating. So can you tell me, like, what are the different stages? How, do it get, how does it get from an idea to being used? The compounds we're working with, they've been used in humans for a long time. So we're skipping a lot of that process and it's going through clinical trials. And they start with phase one to phase three. And they basically are starting with a healthy population and a small number of people and making sure these new treatments are safe. That's phase one. And then you start to test these products in the condition that you're testing, so for example, it'll be in a population with depression and that's a larger trial and then if you're getting a signal that suggests it might work, then you've got your phase three, which are your confirmatory trials and they're meant to be in much larger populations. And usually there'll be a couple phase three trials and if your drug passes phase three, so it's shown to be effective in these larger populations, then it'll likely get approved and that means that the regulatory body has weighed up 
the harms and the benefits and they suggest it's more beneficial than harmful and then it gets approved. But that's kind of, a lot of people think it ends there, but they've actually got phase four trials as well. And that's where you're testing the compound in much, much, much larger and broader populations. And this is where you're going to sort of identify rare side effects like this happened with the COVID vaccine it was only once it was out in the wild there was the cardiac risk was identified and that's a really important phase of clinical trials. Yeah I didn't even realize about phase four but that makes a lot of sense. And the way psychedelics are different yeah. I'm just going to jump in yeah, to please. Um, normal trials so normally in these phases of trials you have a considerable number of population and they get larger. What's interesting with the mental health space is those numbers are much smaller and I think this is because mental health trials are more expensive to conduct. And then with psychedelics, they're even smaller. So our phase two trials are having, a, you know, tens of people to 100 people. And for anyone who works in the clinical trial space, that's going to be an anomaly. Mm. I mean, it's because these psychedelics are having really large effects and that, you know, from a statistical perspective, you can get the answer you're looking for with a smaller number of people. What does really large effects mean? So variation or great impact? It would be a big reduction in symptoms. Oh, so I see. A big response. Yeah, okay, right. And in a larger percentage of the population. Oh, I see. That's that, that's great, very helpful. So in, you mentioned that it was more expensive to conduct. Can you give me an idea about why that is? One part of it is how long you have to treat for. So with typical antidepressants like SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that's the most common antidepressant. And a fun fact, Australia has the second highest per capita use of antidepressants and one in seven people are on antidepressants. Right. Just a fun aside. But yeah. these drugs, SSRIs, they take about four to six weeks to show an effect. So we won't know whether it works or not for four to six weeks. So these trials have to run for a long time. And with psychedelics, I see. the way they, they've been given clinically is they'll give the drug, the psychedelic, maybe a few times, like one to three times, but it's given with a course of therapy, like psychological therapy, so talk therapy, and that are multiple sessions over weeks. So these trials are running for a long time. And that's like that's where most of the cost comes in. I don't know if anyone's tried to see a therapist lately. It's not cheap. <laughs> yes, no, you've got that right. So yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So not only are they happening over a period of time, but they're happening in combination with other therapy, like talk therapy. And I think that's a really interesting point as well because um, that was something that I learned through our discussions with you know between you and I that you know some other drug investigation clinical trials might be looking at the drug and not necessarily looking at sort of other components going on in the life. Not always, of course, depends on the setting. But with the psychedelics, there is a combination and that's what's important. Correct. Yeah. So they think, I mean, this is still up for debate and needs to be proven scientifically, but the current theory is that the psychedelic is acting as a catalyst for the therapy and increasing its efficacy. And some people say it's like doing years of therapy within weeks or months. What the drug is doing, I'm going to talk about psilocybin specifically here. It's a serotonin 2A receptor agonist. It's just some pharmacology. But it basically acts on your brain in a way that 
it has multiple mechanisms. One is increasing neuroplasticity, which is the ability for your brain to learn. And this is gets much more important the older you get and your brain becomes more rigid. So it increases cognitive flexibility. It also reduces your fear response and puts you in a more comfortable state. So if there's underlying issues that the patient has been having trouble addressing, they're able to address those. And it also gives you a new perspective. So for those that don't know, psychedelics are drugs that can cause you know, psychedelic effects. And these, uh, they change the way you think, see and feel and can cause things like hallucinations or my favorite symptom or side effect or effect that they cause is called synesthesia. Huh. And that's where your senses get crossed. So you can do things like taste music or hear color because in your brain, you're just getting, they say it increases entropy. So it's like the activity in your brain is increasing. It's a bit chaotic. And your parts of your brain that haven't communicated in a long time or have never communicated are communicating. So you're having new perspectives and also these altered sensations. And one way people describe it is like if you're skiing down a hill over time, if you're going down this hill over and over again, you end up in the same grooves. It's like the path of least resistance. And this over time, like each time you go skiing, you're deepening that groove. And this is kind of our thought pathways. So over time, we're more likely to jump to conclusions or have the same thought pathways. And this is just because we're an efficiency machine. And this is, this is a process of learning. But this can be maladaptive. And what psychedelics do is they basically clear the ski field and let you create new grooves for the first time in a long time. Oh, I love that idea. And it really makes a lot of sense because, you know, I've done a little bit of reading about, you know, how behaviours develop and the links that are formed in your brain to, um, you know, as you said, make quicker decisions or know how to tie your shoelaces or things without thinking. So that analogy, the ski field <laughs> pathways um, and grooves and new grooves, I really uh, that makes really clear <laughs> in my head. <laughs> um, so, yeah, how did you get into this area and why are you excited about the new types of treatments that we're looking into? Um, so I've always been interested in the human mind and pharmacology, which is a study of drugs. And I think, you know, drugs are some of the most powerful tools we have to understand how the mind works. And in that respect, I've always been interested in psychedelics. But I only really emerged as a treatment, you know, in the past few years. How I got into this space, um, it was a bit of a personal reason, I guess. Like in 2021, I lost two friends to mental illness. And I guess I understood how bad the mental health crisis was on an intellectual level but it was going through that experience that I understood it on an emotional level and you know when one friend passes away like it's a yeah. tragedy but when mm. the second friend passed away then it started to look like a pattern mm. and I kind of you know it was something I couldn't ignore and then when I started to look around there were quite a few people in my life and around me struggling with mental illness and I just thought there needs to be better treatments like we can do better than this yeah. and so you know my background is neuroscience pharmacology and my PhD research was in medical cannabis and developing that as a treatment for childhood epilepsy and experiencing that journey of development 
patient access and patient-driven medicine became really important. It was about developing treatments that are attending to the patient's needs and making sure they actually become accessible for the patients. So then I started looking into mental health treatments, and that's when I noticed that psychedelics were they had these early signals as looking really promising. And then when I looked into the research, it actually looked really, really promising. And they felt like two puzzle pieces coming together where I had this relevant background and there is this need and maybe this is an area I can help in. And then, you know, I start looking and then the, a job at TGI in this area came up and I thought this is the sign. This is my future. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I've actually heard you say in the past that the um, – mental health crisis is getting bigger and there's been fewer new treatments available. Can you tell me a bit about that? A really interesting thing about our mental health treatments, most of them were sort of developed in the 50s and they were actually serendipitous as well. Like uh, they were treatments for, I think one was like a treatment for tuberculosis and they found out that those patients were less depressed and that made them look at how the drug was working and that's how the whole serotonin theory came up. So the biggest breakthroughs we've had in depression originate from sort of the 50s and 60s and nothing really new has happened in this space up until the psychedelics came through, which was, you know, in the past few years. Right. Yeah, that is really interesting. (laughs) I love that serendipitous, um, I mean, because that's really, to me, the whole story of significant medicines in our history, even antibiotics. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what's happening in Australia and, you know, what are the next steps? So what's interesting about Australia is that these treatments are still in clinical trials. They haven't been approved. But in Australia, you know, our regulatory body, the TGA, has decided to give access to these treatments through a special pathway called the Authorised Prescriber Scheme. So MDMA can be prescribed for PTSD and psilocybin can be prescribed for treatment-resistant depression by these authorised prescribers. And this is the first country in the world to provide access to these treatments. So in this regard, Australia is completely at the forefront. Um, And it's going to be a really interesting next few years to see how this plays out. In some way, it's amazing because we're giving access to treatments that could be really effective for people who are in need. But on the other hand, there is so much we need to learn about these treatments. And this is kind of where our work at the George comes in is it's not just about developing effective treatments, but it's about equity and access. So we want to develop treatments that are safe and effective and make sure these treatments are getting to as many people as they can be. Because at the moment, without approval and reimbursement, without going through the correct pathways, these treatments are only going to be accessible to people who can afford them. And at the moment, they're about, you know, $15,000. Per treatment. Per treatment course. Wow. So there's like absolutely making meters in this journey, but there is still so much more work that needs to be done. And what makes me really excited is that, well, one, we've got really effective treatments emerging on the scene and this is really important for the patients but it's also been really good for the field because more people are becoming excited and there's more funding flowing into this space and also there are so many brilliant minds working on this like Australia has a critical mass of mental health researchers and infrastructure in this capacity so we are absolutely in the right position to 
do meaningful work that has real impact. Have you listened to our other episodes? Search The Scan Podcast to hear more. We look forward to you joining us again soon.